experience or feel love because what i feel as a therapist and i don't know how you feel at the moment with regard to this is that i feel as a therapist that what i'm encountering is i'm encountering situations where there is the misinterpretation of love in every different format that we can possibly come across and so i know we kind of in a way we're talking about is love alive is love dead but as a therapist, we come across situations, and Paul was very funny, he opened a book and he said, actually, the first thing he came across was cause of suffering. And I said, yes, love or our idea of love is actually a cause of suffering, and it appears in most different ways. And again and again, I keep coming into situations where people are craving love, they're craving acceptance from other people, they're looking for validation in lots of different ways. They're getting involved in relationships where, you know, it is, it, you know, for me, a question is, is actually, is loving myself narcissistic or is being in love with ourselves? That is narcissistic. Um, what are we in love with when we are in love with ourselves? You know, is it the image of ourselves? Is it our face? Is it our body? Is it our mind? What happens when our body lets us down? Our face lets us down. The image of ourselves lets us down. Our mind lets us down. I, I kind of, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about love in, in the way that we keep constructing it and keep describing it. And, and what's been coming up for me for the last sort of, I'd say about sort of five, six months with a lot of clients I'm working with at the moment is a lot of conflict and a lot of betrayal. And a lot of it is about the basis and the setup of relationships that we're putting in place where what we're doing is we are expectant of the dynamic in that relationship to have love. And my question is, within all of this, as I'm beginning to unpick it as a therapist, is that is love actually there? Or is it a set of constructs that we've actually put into place to to kind of make us feel that the relationship is special in a particular way. But once we cut out various different elements of it and we open our eyes with an awareness of the different parts of it, suddenly we can see that actually it wasn't what we thought it was. Does that make any sense for you as a, as a doctor and a psychiatrist? Does this make sense? It's, a, it, it, it's something that's troubling me a lot at the moment. So I think there is an experience of love and then there's an expectation of love. There's also a memory of love. And then there is almost like an image of love that you have in the hearts. And, and I say that because I, what you just said reminds me of a case that I've seen recently. So she's a really, really lovely lady, quite accomplished, um, has been married for the last 10 years. And this is with a man that he she has known since they were about 18 years old so they kind of grew up together and they've gone through a lot of trial and tribulation and then finally after like about 10 years of chasing and things like that they finally got together mm -hmm. um but since they got together the problem kind of started like she couldn't get you know along with the in-law the husband wasn't sensitive enough um is not really accommodating to her needs uh picking up her clues learning from the mistakes that they had made inside the relationship uh, although sometimes that he make nice and romantic gestures she he doesn't follow up in enough with them that she feels there's an expectation of things that it's been let down afterward so she's now really considering should i be separating from my husband should i end this relationship what does it mean is it actually better if i talk to you know a stranger on the street or in an uber that actually validate me more like where is that coming from so there there is this expectation because she know she knew this man this person this lovely guy by the sound of it since about 20 22 25 years ago and there's this image of love inside herself that she had created and what the relationship would be like. Kind of, you know, even, even not being with this man, she has had this whole relationship inside of her already. It's like how they would proceed, what would they be like, how would they chat, how they hold each other, what would they be like when they go to a restaurant. And then there is an actual experience of love where, oh, it doesn't quite match it. Rather or not, it's actually a, a lacking of love. I don't know, I wasn't there. But from her description, a description to me, there is a lacking. 
And in contrast, what is very, very interesting is she keeps describing another relationship that she keeps saying is perfect. This relationship happened about 15, 17 years ago. So it's kind of of, since she knew the husband now, but before they got married and got probably together, she and this ex-boyfriend only got together for about three months. And, but she said it's perfect because he knows exactly what she needs. He he knew they were perfect together. It was the intensity of the passion, passion was just right. Um, he never cheated. He was always there. He, it was just easy. She keeps saying it's just easy. But then I had to ask as a, as her psychiatrist, like, but it ended. It's like yeah, but it was because. But he, he can no longer stay in the relationship as passionate as we were. He has to go see his friends, do his job. We can no longer sustain, so he has to call it quit. But it was perfect. So I found it very interesting where, on one hand, there's a memory of a relationship and love that she regards as perfect, despite it has ended. On the other hand, there is the love and relationship that she's in at the moment, and she thinks it's imperfect. So I, I found... Exactly kind of how you open, Colin, you know, the, the the imbalance between the memory, the expectation and experience of it, I think it does create a lot of suffering. But this this for me is is interesting because within all of this, I think what we find is we actually find that we are living almost, there's, there's so many different cliches that are being played out in all these different things. And I actually... I'm still not convinced by your argument that these are love because actually, I'm sorry, you can, you can laugh at me all you want, but I'm still not convinced that these are love because in a way it's, it it appears to be pretty predictable to me. And it appears to be sort of almost casebook in a way, because you've got a situation where you've got someone. And again, I can give you case after case after case of this. Um, In fact, there was a, a, a newspaper a newspaper article today with regard to a celebrity who felt, you know, was in, it was in, you know, what she felt was in a, in a monogamous relationship that she believed that it would be forever. They would grow old together. It was the dream that they'd have. They were happier than they've ever been. And then 16 years into the relationship, she finds out that the, the person's leading a double life and the, the person that you thought was on the same page as you wasn't on the same page as you. And their standards and view of the world is very, very different to yours. So it, it, it means that it, it, the, these, the, there's different messages of love all around this. And I don't believe these are actually love. I think that actually what's happening is we're creating an idea in our mind that we construct and we put in place. And this memory is not actually love. It's a memory of what we associate and think love should be or what it equates to be to us. And I, I disagree that it's love. And, and that's why I'm proposing that I, to you that, that love is dead, because I think if we're constructing these things in this way, actually genuine love, having genuine love is, is rarity. It's really, really rare, because if you think about it, you have a situation like that, a scenario that explodes in this way, where you've got this relationship that kind of crumbles and the person looks at the other person and then it follows diff- various different pathways. You get, you know, different conversation, different ways. So one partner starts to kind of go, look, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I, it's a mistake. I, I, I'm so sorry. Let me come back to you. It didn't mean anything. You're the one for me. Or they do it another route, which is where they turn it around to actually make it the other person's fault and just turn around and say, well, you didn't give me the attention I needed. And so I felt that I had to go somewhere else, you know, and so we start to find that there becomes lots of these predictable things that are in place. And I think that all of them we call we're in a loving relationship, but that actually blocks in place to stop us from loving. And I think that we're living these interactions with each other, whether these blocks in place. And then all these kind of, like you say, expectations and scenarios and rules that we set up where we kind of go well if you love me then you'll share your netflix password with me or you'll do this or you'll do that with me and i think it's absolutely rubbish and that's why i'm proposing that love is dead because you're getting in this situation and you're finding yourself in a situation where you don't want to break up with the person because you don't want to be on your own for the rest of your life. And so you beg for them to take you back and you'll do anything to do that. And, you know, so there becomes this whole kind of play forwards and backwards that becomes a cliche, it becomes very predictable and it's not love. 
And if you do go back with them, you end up resenting the whole thing. And it's, uh, am I making sense, Stanford? Yes, and you're being feisty, and I like it, especially <laughs> before before Valentine's Day well, comes. Well, for me, it's one o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> I, I'm just, uh, you can so, be so, as feisty <laughs> as you want. We like it. We like it. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just, so, you know, I, I, I'm taking a few seconds to warm up here because I, 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 I I'm, am, am I tainted by the people that I'm working with? That actually, all of them have. You know, and and as and you as a as as a, a psychiatrist coming across situations again and again and again, I'm just I'm just I'm just posing that question to you. Well, first of all, I think I think a lot of the time as a psychiatrist, we don't see the perfect image of love because when people have that kind of loving, supportive relationship, that the chances of them developing worse mental health issues that needing a psychiatry investment involvement is slightly lower not saying impossible but slightly lower so we don't have a very good samples to take from um but i i think i i've seen a lot of medias entertainments or art artistic work producing challenging exactly what you said is to stereotype of you know having having love is easy and there's always one out there for you um everything ends in a true love kiss again i think we can't go through this last time where we have to each find our own experience and journey towards love and it can mean different thing for every single one of us so having conforming to this idea that everyone will have their special one that will get married you know behind picket fence and have however many children and live happily ever after is a little bit unusual because we're all individuals we're all different and we want different things in life and some of us may want more about career some people may want a bit more traveling some people may want more family time actually some people want marriages or more than one relationship whatever for flow their boats i think i think that wasn't quite included in in the in the idealistic um valentine's card where you'll find your true love um but I, I don't know. I think still not quite convinced that it's love dead already. I think love in sometimes maybe secondary. Well, and... I, I, I don't know, because I, I think I like your point, because what you're doing is you're saying that actually when we put her around and say there's a special one, they're the one, that's the one for me. This is my soulmate. This is the person I'm in love with. I, I'm working on a case at the moment I find quite fascinating. And it's almost like it's a, a kind of like a a dynamic love triangle. So I've got this one person who is completely in love with this other person. And they say to me, they say, so they smell so wonderful. They taste so wonderful. We have so much fun together. We just, when we connect, we meet, it's amazing. You know, we're just meant to be together. However, they're in love with someone else. And, you know, they go off and they have these breaks and go off with someone else. And so, We've we've got this sort of this triangle that makes this other person very very sad indeed, and I start talking more and more about this, and I'm saying, well, is this love? And you know, are are you sure that you're actually in love with this person? Because actually, it looks like this person is not available to you. And how does this replicate a number of the patterns with the people you've had in the past who also aren't available to you? And how are those things? And you're describing those things as love, but you're repeating the same processes again and again and again. And I'm just not convinced it's love. And I think that actually there isn't love in this relationship. I think it's actually a dysfunctional relationship and scenario. I don't know what you think. Uh, well, I've definitely seen quite a fair few of dysfunctional relationships in my time. And you're reminding me of a couple that I met where... They have children together and they've been married together for the last, I think, 40 plus years. But when they're in the room, you can literally feel there's a chill in the room as well, where, where they kind of, the I don't know, maybe disdain would be the the better, better word to describe the feeling that they have for each other, where that there's not a warm, fussy feeling, but they are married. They are still together. And maybe it's again they they only share so much with me where where they're holding to each other because of the children because of the construct of marriage because of certain religious belief within the community um because of financial construct that there's a lot of reason why they are staying with each other but exactly as you said they're actually that is the reason why they're making each other miserable as well 
But I, at the same time, I, I do wonder in a dysfunctional place, can you have love still? I, I'll give the example where I was on call. I was on call on one of the inpatient wards where uh, very sadly, two very young girls were admitted uh, in the middle of the night. I think one was 18, another one's about 23. So the older one is slightly taking the younger one into her wing, especially the young one literally just got admitted um, because of eating disorder and some self-harm ideations. Um, and obviously it's quite, quite traumatic as she only just turned 18 and become an adult. So when I got to see this young girl, because she was feeling unsettled on the war, feeling quite unsafe, wanting to be held, wanting to just like having a friendly face to chat with, I saw this other, uh, the slightly older girl, the 23-year-old girl, just sitting with her, like not cuddling, not overbearing or anything, but simply just being there with her, kind of almost sharing her experience and saying, I can be there, I've been here, I know what you feel, it's difficult, it's really hard, the doctor's here to help, the nurses are here to help, it doesn't feel like it, but we're here to help. And almost in that moment, it's obviously really dysfunctional setting. It's like about 3 a.m. in the morning, as always. Um, there's two young girls who have mental health issues in the inpatient ward. But for that moment, I do feel a very strong sense of care and um, love and warmth and almost like a brahmana, like a really expansive feeling to both of them. So I don't know, It can in the dysfunctional place, can you still have love? Can you still have true love? But this is I, I like what you said there, because you're looking at the connectivity between two people, but also the fact that you've got this underlying and there'll be an underlying sort of let, let, let's call it um, an underlying damage, you know, that sometimes there's an underlying damage that draws people together in the same way. Um, it you, you ask an interesting question because it's something that I'm posing at the moment with a client who is in her mid-50s, who is battling the fact that her mother hated her the whole of her life and she spent the whole of her life looking to get approval from her mother. And so we find ourselves in a situation where she thought and she realized that her mother really doesn't love her and didn't love her. And all the signs were there, but she just ignored and buried all the signs the whole of her life because she wanted her mother's love. And a question to her is, is if you have anger, if you have all this anger there, where does that anger go when you want all that love, but you're not getting that love in place? I, I, do you see? Am I making sense with this? Because it, it, it's, I think it's troublesome because I, I was talking to a young person today who, whose father is absent, and she hits this real, real kind of low, like really, 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 sort of this low that you wouldn't believe. And she's fought the whole of her life to get this attention from her father. And she's young. She's in her twin, you know, mid-20s. And she's fought the whole of her life to get this attention. And everything she does, she's a real perfectionist. You know, everything she does is just to get this attention again and again and again. So first class honours degree, best here, best there, best there. But nothing ever comes back from the father. And it sets everything up. It's setting the whole thing up in her life for a disaster and all she wants is she wants a recognition she wants the love she wants to be held she wants to be supported but these things aren't love they're just not love so in that situation would the practice be more about guiding the person to find a place where they can hold and support themselves so then they can then find what is love i think the the key is the awareness of the way that we start to play out in these situations forwards and backwards because we start to play lots of different games and also we're not aware about the amount of effort and energy that we put into the situation 
because there's a huge amount of effort that is put into these situations, massive amounts. And also, what do we do? And I come back to this again. What do we do with the anger that we feel? So for me, there's a correlation between this young person and this other person that I'm working with, because this other person that I'm working with in the mid-50s has an autoimmune condition, which is caused because of the denial and the suppression of these emotions within her, and they're destroying her. And this young person I'm working with, I'm sitting there and saying, look, you have got an opportunity. You're aware of the fact that actually you are getting so angry it's absolutely unbelievable but what you're doing is you're suppressing it you're swallowing it you're pushing it right the way down because you want to be this good little girl and i say it's a bullshit story a real bullshit story that's not going to help you because the idea and we come back to exactly what you said this idea of perfection a perfect relationship a perfect father a perfect mother a perfect you know, so Stanford, when you said that, it's just spot on. We have these ideas of these kind of perfections that are in place. And actually, they're not they're not real. They're constructed perfections that we have. And then we match ourselves against those perfections and we kind of play out in these different ways. And it's just we end up destroying ourselves. But the more awareness we give to people about the patterning that they're presenting and how they're behaving, I think is absolutely key. I think I think when I was speaking about that, I was thinking another case I was working with is, uh, as you know, it was a young chap who recently got diagnosed with quite a fun stage of cancer. Mm. I remember I told you um, about the location of the cancer. And the first thing is that these are all places that is correlating to the elements of fire and is a lot about anger. Because I think thinking about the key, he told me quite a little bit about his childhood and how he's brought up. I think he's always been quite a favorite child and he's always very loved. And he grew up in this really kind of almost like a storybook caring environment. But then it kind of all crumbles up a little bit as he grows up because then the father has financial issues and it has health issues. The mother wasn't very um, supportive in a sense because she herself had a lot of health issues and mental health issues as well. So and he has to spend a bit of time abroad on his own where he feels unsupported. So, and then now he's coming back to this place where I think com- contrasting to how he grew up or the, Im- or the imagery that was put in place when he's a child is a very, very different one Hmm. which i think is creating a lot of anger um not to mention that i think his sexuality wasn't as accepted within the family and there's a there's a whole lot of issue where as you said the it it doesn't didn't sound like true love there was an image there was a there was a perfection that was put into play that wasn't quite achievable Hmm. so now unfortunately the the desire or the lack of progression towards that design towards that perfection turn itself into anger and kind of self-destruct in the form of a disease so i i now think where i i because i found it quite difficult working with him as well where he wants a lot of things that i think he he is aware and he knows is not good for him but unfortunately the pattern is very very hard to break because he's so used to it and he he needs to have that moments and like I'm using an example like junk food. Like he knows when he's been under treatment for the for the disease, he shouldn't really have junk food. But he finds joints, he finds enjoyment from it. So he he has to take it because otherwise he really would have no positive in his life, in his word. So I do I do find it interesting because when working with people like that is is hard because you you know what advice you can give, but at the same time, you kind of I also know that would be the wrong advice to give. Mm. It's it's quite challenging because when we start to work through and when people start to discuss the way that they are interacting with themselves and other people, when you see that they actually avoid love or avoid situations of love because they're it becomes a way of navigating interactions 
with people so that they don't get hurt or they don't get anger or they don't get shame or blame or when there is these situations there is a, a twist to internalizing so that they don't open up it, almost in a way it's that the processes that we should be using to express ourselves and to feel are rerouted in the wrong way internally. And I think it causes a huge amount of problem. And that's why I'm saying, and I still say it, as I need to be convinced that love is alive, because it, how can we say what it is if what we're experiencing in our society at the moment is so much of what it isn't? And do you think it's painful for us to then get close to experience that is true love when we don't have it? Can it, that itself be a painful experience as well? I've, I've been talking to lots of clients about what love means to them, um, what love is. And the relationships that when people say especially when there's a lot of pain associated with this like like paul said is it causes of suffering um it i remember this this one lady i was speaking to is that almost that as we were talking about what love meant she just kept looking up and just kind of going well when my ex-husband kept saying i love you you know and laughing and i love you and this and this and she just said and all the time he was betraying me. And so almost in a way, there's these correlations between and these words that people say and how we hear those words and how you've got this kind of idea of, of I love you that's being presented. But it's just a mockery because in the background, she unconsciously knew that there was something else going on. And even though he was saying, you know, I love you. Is that love? So I was talking about this topic with someone else earlier on, and I came up with the idea that I think love itself is, as I said, secondary and is more almost like a social cultural construct. A social cultural construct, not as in, oh, it's an English construct, uh, culture or Chinese culture or Japanese culture, is is a, like a humanistic experience, social um, cultural construct. Because when I think about it, when you, when you see a baby being born, the baby doesn't necessarily have love there's a lot of love from the mother to the baby usually but that's often especially from a yoga point of view I think because there's a lot of memory there's a lot of expectation there's a lot of kind of um, desire from you know the family that who's going to have the newborn like so when they first met there's a lot of these emotions that get brought in so I think there's true love there but when the baby was born actually baby don't really usually express love they express anger when they are frustration when they don't get their needs net um, sorry needs met um they get happy and joy when they have milk or when they're cuddled when they have um you know get clean and everything like that so i think over time then the baby have this um attachment to the primary caregiver and we have lots and lots of attachment theory uh, from a lot of child psychi psychologists and psychiatrists in the past which is all very very amazing but it, this attachment theory comes where actually over time we associate a person, the person who look after the baby, and all these needs being all these needs being met as a positive thing, and that's this construct of love. So I do think maybe over time in the society we slowly start constructing this slightly more elaborately in different ways that are now we're saying, oh, if the person staying with you and not cheating, that's love. If the person understand what you need first thing in the morning and give you coffee, that is love. Or if that person knows to buy you flowers and a card on Valentine's Day, that is love. So that these may not have been an experience of love for everyone or most people, but we've been told repeatedly these actions represent love and we're starting to believe it. But I, I, and I get what you say because there is an assumption with that when someone buys you flowers that they see you as you and that's one of the key things that actually makes us feel that we have the experience of love is that actually someone sees us as us so they look at us and they see us and because they look at us and they see us we get a glimpse that actually that's 
that that moment, that loving moment, that point is that point. And these flowers or these things represent the fact that they see us. Whereas in a way, that one moment gets lost and everything else becomes the identity or the illness identity around love. Because there is a craving, there's a craving for us to be seen. So all of the cases that I'm working with at the moment, the craving is there, the desire, the deep desire is there to be seen, to be seen for who we are. So the young girl today, she wants her father to see her for who she is. She wants that aspect, that thing that she's never had the whole of her life. So there's a, a, a damage in her foundation. You know, the support that she's always wanted isn't there. And to constantly look for that support in a place where that support isn't there is actually destructive for her. But then there is an assumption, you know, there's an assumption about love in a particular way within her and the way she's having relationships. So, again, there becomes attachment issues and also dysfunction issues with regard to the way she's playing out relationships with other people. So I agree with you completely. But isn't there sometimes also a thing about you want to be seen in a certain way, but also to understand how you're being seen by others? Because it's a very different concept almost, because we all want to be seen in the way that we want to be seen. But actually, our other people see sometimes very different thing. And I say that because I, I, I work with someone, again, there's this young chap that I work with. He he has he has a lot of mother issues. Let me let me just make it simple. Is he has a lot of mother issues where he wants to be loved in a certain way, and he he wants his emotional side being met and recognized by the mother. But the mother is very very practical, and the mother will say something like, "Oh, I was too busy. How will I have time to actually deal with your anger outburst or anything like that?" And he will get very hurt, and he feel very very sensitive about it because he felt like I'm showing you me. And my needs haven't been met. You're not seeing me. You're not listening to me. For our workings together, then, then we're starting to find out that actually this mother meant what she meant, which is I'm very, very busy because I'm very busy providing for you. I'm actually going out working and bringing home money, bringing home food and everything so that you are careful. So that's actually an expression of love from her side of things because she, she see that he is needs is much more practical and financial and those need to be met so again it's not it's not a resolution where oh from then on they live happily ever after it's more about seeing from other people's point of view so yes maybe you weren't seen the way that you wanted to be seen but you were also being seen in a positive way and being careful in a slightly different way maybe it wasn't the way that you were asked for but it was the way that was given i think that is for a rational person to talk through, I think that's a, a you know a, a good thing to do. However, in a situation where you've got someone that has a traumatic interaction of this way, I think with that traumatic interaction, what you then find is you then find that people tend to hide their feelings, and they hide their feelings because there is a lot of volatility associated with being vulnerable and actually kind of going, well, this is not what I want to hear. This is not what I, you know, I just need this, this, and this, I need these, this be in this way. And it's not coming in this way. And no matter how much we translate and turn around and say, you know, if I give an example, I was speaking to a person yesterday, they said, Oh, this person's trying to call me. They've messaged me and said, I'm trying to get a hold of you. That's absolute bullshit. They're not trying to get a hold of you of me. They would have tried. I've got messages that they would have tried. And of course, you start to rationalize it. You kind of go, Well, you know, sometimes messages don't get through. Sometimes that person is trying to get a hold of you. And that person then fights back against you and says, Well, why are you jumping to their defense? Why are you defending them? Why aren't you understanding how I'm feeling about this? And so you start to see that actually this line of, like you mentioned, anger and love, desire, what I want. I, I think when you've got this anger, when you've got this 
wanting this kind of this thing very strongly and you're holding on to that and the way that it's going to be i don't think there's any room for navigation around this i don't think there is i think that it, it, it's quite complicated i think that it's something slow that needs to happen to realize that it's a trap that you're creating for yourself. And how do you unpick all the different aspects of that trap to really interpret and understand what the other person is doing and saying is the only way that they can express that they care. But is that love? Yes, they care for you. Yes, they're looking after you. Yes, they're putting stuff into you. They may be nourishing you physically, but are they nourishing you emotionally and spiritually? Are they able to touch you in the way that you feel that you have the vast capacity to be touched in your heart? And quite often, many people say that, no, that doesn't happen. They just have to accept what they've got or they're angry with what they've got. So I'm saying maybe love's a luxury. Maybe maybe it's actually, you know, a, a, a something that if we were to look at hierarchy of needs, you know, love is something that comes later on because actually, you know, you, you, you does that make sense? I'm just kind of throwing it out there because I'm 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 just with all the cases that I'm working with at the moment. This is what's coming up for me. I'm just kind of going, hang on a second, where's the love? Well, I think. In the hierarchy of needs, love is usually actually quite further up. You're, you're absolutely right, because we need all the base, basic stuff first. We need the basic materialistic food, water, and all these things. And I think love, especially, I'm, I'm not even talking about love with someone else. I'm talking about love for ourselves. So like the concept of self-actualization is really towards the top of Marlowe's hierarchy of need. Hmm. And I felt like, maybe in one of the western concepts i think self-actualization is closest to love because you really kind of realize who you are and who you what your needs are what your ta where your ta talent lies where your weakness are where your strengths are and then you really realize that in the real world as well and that's that in in in, in some way is quite loving but that is indeed the luxury because that is very much towards the top of the hierarchy of needs and that's not somewhere you will get into anywhere close. Um, I don't know, maybe when you're at teenagers or when you're 20 in your 20s because you have to slowly build towards that. We've, we've got an idea. Um, this idea is kind of interesting. It's like sacrifice is the ultimate expression of love. And this idea that sacrifice is an ultimate expression of love is a, it's an interesting idea, especially when you mentioned Valentine's Day earlier on. And almost in a way, what we've got is we've got an idea that we, that has evolved over sort of, maybe we'll call it a thousand years maybe you know 500 years in the last sort of couple of hundred years it's kind of really kind of come together in the way that we sort of know it where we sort of we end up giving gifts to each other and anonymous gifts first of all and i think with the invention of the postage stamp and with letters we, we could then sort of send these anonymous gifts and now we've kind of gone to a stage where it's very very commercial so for me, we've got this sort of practice, which is, a again, it's a, a Christian-based practice, which is based on, on sacrifice. And we've got this other idea within us that sacrifice itself is the ultimate expression of love. And almost in a way, we can convince ourselves that if we love someone, we will do this, this and this. Or we have to feel some kind of pain if there is love. And so pain and love are almost seen as something together within maybe the maybe the fundamental genetics of our society. And, and maybe we should feel like like Paul was saying, you know, actually that love and suffering come together and that if we have love, there will be pain. And I still don't believe I mean, I still don't think and I still don't believe that. That that is love that is alive. I think I agree from that this angle where 
I'm not sure sacrifice equals love because I, from my experience with talking to clients or other people in general, I feel like when they feel like they're sacrificing something, that often is an expectation on return. They're expecting, oh, if I do this now for this person, later on it may pay off and he will become the partner that I want her, I will have the marriage that I want, that we will have the house that we want. There's often an expectation in return. And I'm not sure that in, in my experience of love, that is that is quite equivocal. Also, I think I think in a, in a sacrificial relationship, that's often very, very imbalanced and they often very not long lasting. So as you know, I, I have had different careers within medicine itself. And during my kind of change between specialties, I read this amazing book called Also Human. It's a, like kind of the hidden stories about doctors and medics where they're sharing their journeys of um, struggles in, within a career. So if you are anywhere close to uh, healthcare uh, professionals or you actually want to find out more about the hidden lives of medics and doc- uh, doctors, I strongly recommend you to read it, also human. Um, but in the opening chapter, which is really palpable and very vivid and very, very real, is it describes or compare being a doctor or a healthcare professional, it's almost like your patient is on the other side of a frozen leg and you're walking across to try to save that person. But in the process of doing that, you have to be very, very careful because if you step in the wrong direction or step on thin ice, you can fall into the frozen leg yourself. And I think that there is this sense of understanding or that's this understanding of uh, in me where sacrifice almost means it's like a sense of duty and responsibility, whereas not um, love. Because I, I really do care for my patient. And I really would do a lot of things, including waking up 3 a.m. in the morning to see them if there's a need. But I wouldn't exactly describe my relationship to them as love. So I think if you have a relationship with someone where you think, oh, I need to sacrifice something in order to love the other person, I think I will agree with you. I'm, I'm not sure that is how I would understand it either. Hmm. I think sacrifice from an Eastern perspective is a very different understanding, but I'm looking at it from a Western perspective. So sacrifice from an Eastern perspective is, it's not the painful aspect that we think of it as being in the West. If we come back to ourselves and we come back to love within ourselves, and I, and I posed some questions at the beginning of this, is that, you know, is loving ourselves narcissistic? You know, or is it that actually being in love with ourselves, that's the thing that is narcissistic? And when we are, when we love ourselves, what is it that we're actually in love with? You know, is it the kind of Instagram image of ourselves, you know, where we kind of pose our faces or our bodies in particular shapes and forms? Or is it that we are in love with our minds. And the reason I'm saying this is I I work with a a number of cancer patients, as you know, and one of the interesting things is that when we've relied on an aspect of ourselves, like our bodies, and it lets us down, or we an aspect of our mind, it lets us down, suddenly we find ourselves in a difficult situation where the thing that we were in love with, or we loved, or we thought we loved, sometimes it's betrayed us or it's let us down and we're repulsed by it. And so actually, where is the love within this? Because it implies there's conditions on this thing that it has to work, it has to look in a particular way. So my face or my body or my mind has to operate this. And do we still love it? Or do we spend all of our time investing in what we think love is and how it should be? You know, is it is it too easy to be conditional on what we expect love to look like actually in ourselves? Or is this from a rigid place in our mind? I'm just because I'm also seeing, you know, a lot of people talking about self-love and, you know, loving themselves and where does that come from? What is it that we're in love with? Is it, because yoga's got its own answers to this and I could give you the answers to all of it, but I I don't, I see there is a big gap between what I've been presented with and actually what yoga, what Eastern philosophy is talking about. 
And that's why I want to say, and I still come back to this point, that I, you know, is love dead? You're reminding someone, reminding me someone that I know where he's a really, really talented guy and really, really good looking. And and, and I think, I think as you as you're saying, this person comes to mind because I think he has not reliance, but he has been told many, many times that his look really made him successful, and he got a lot of success out of it in different medias and different jobs and different works, and he is really there. And I mean, in no way he has lost his, his look in any way. It just has evolved as we all age and as it naturally would do. So now he, I, I think just the other day I saw on social media, now he's getting fillers or, you know, different small cosmetic surgery and things like that so that he can maintain in certain looks. And now he's, as you said, like a lot of in love with himself again, because he's posting a lot more photo of himself again. And he's really being validated again. And he's really boasting about this. And I did wonder, is there... Is as you say, is that true love? Is that yeah, do you love yourself if or you only love an image of yourself and you want that to never change? Which actually in some ways is an illusion because we we will change, you know, we will age. Our skin will sag, our, our angles will change, you know, pores will get bigger or whatever it may be. It, it, it is only natural. Um but my question will be if love is dead, then what is there, Colin? Mm. And that's what I'm trying to discover. Um, and someone said something interesting to me today about this. They said, there's something to be said for people that don't care that it's not real. And I found that really interesting. Because there are some people that really don't care. You know what? I'm just going to enjoy my life. I don't care. And within all of this, there's a, a group of people that do care. There are a lot of people that do care, that do care about where love is and what love is and how love is. And that's why I'd like to say, well, maybe it is a rarity. Maybe it is an exception to navigate all these things, to navigate the fears to navigate the different forms of attachment, you know, to understand your codependency and actually the difference between codependency and interdependency, to navigate what it is we really want, to be comfortable in ourselves and the way that we view ourselves, the way that someone else views us, so we don't have to alter ourselves for someone to love us because they love us in that particular way. Actually, I'm comfortable with me. Accept me for me. I accept you for you. And so it means that what's happening is that I think that to navigate all of those, to drop the images, to drop the thing that we think we're in love with, and to find a much deeper connection with each other, to care for other human beings, to love other human beings, to care for our planet, to love our planet, to care for ourselves, to look after ourselves. I think that our actions can become an expression of love, but I think there's a lot of stuff that still gets in the way of it, massive amounts. And I think that those expressions of those massive amounts of things that are getting in the way of that are getting more and more exaggerated and more and more acceptable and i think those become blocks and they actually block us and stop us from experiencing but also expressing love because often we're too caught up in other things too caught up as you said at the very beginning in these ideas of expectations of how things should be or the perfection of what something is or whether something is right or whether it's wrong and we intellectualize the whole thing rather than move beyond the mind to a space where actually love can occur i think 
we do need to move beyond these blogs and these struggles and kind of false perceptions of what we think or we construct to be love. But as you as you're talking, I was just thinking actually almost like in a painting, if I want to highlight somewhere that's really, really white, I can't just you ha- I can't just hand someone a blank canvas because that is white usually. But actually what I can do is to corner the areas that I want to show with very, very dark colors and sometimes very murky colors. So you can see the white even more easily, more prominently. So I, I take a slightly different view where, yes, I, I know it is hard to navigate through these blocks and struggles, these obstacles, these false perceptions and beliefs and expectation and desire. But I somehow also feel like the journey itself will be worth it because it's through this journey experience then hopefully you under, I, I will understand what it is and what love isn't and it will show me in some way what love really is. I don't know if that's a Western or Eastern perspective. I think I at this stage I kind of got the two very mixed up so I might operate with both. So you you have hope that love isn't dead. You have hope that love is alive. Well, there's two of us, so one of us has to. <laughs> you to one cor- corner, so I took the other. <laughs> Thank you, Stanford. Um, what's come out of this for me tonight is, again, it's just been good to talk to you. And it's also to talk to you about actually the play out that on the surface that you and I both experience in different therapeutic environments that people need navigating a lot. And a lot of it is down to, you know, this desire to be loved, to be seen, to be held, to be wanted, to not feel alone, to to have a connectivity that is magical. I agree, because I think what come up for me is the magic is not in achieving these dreams or these visions that other people or you yourself have put into your belief in your mind. It's actually the experience that is magical. And unless, as Colin said, you you move to the space where you actually you have to stop caring about all these kind of bullshits, the experience of love is much harder. Mm. I agree. Thank you, Sam. Good to see you. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> you need to get some rest. I'm going to. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you.